Hi, and welcome to Pathways, the podcast by Grenadian Steam. This is the show where we chat with Grenadians and other West Indians pursuing careers in the steam fields to learn about the reasons they got into the industry, the struggles they have faced, and some tips and tricks they may have picked up along the way. I'm your host and president of Grensteam, Arlene Hayes. In this season, we are putting the focus on those who are doing it best right at home. Science, technology, engineering, architecture, and math exist all around us, even though we may not always realize it. And there are lots of openings for these skill sets to be used on the island. So join us as we talk about STEAM in Grenada and hear about some local businesses that you might want to get involved with and support. This episode is brought to you by Carabytes. Carabytes is a proud sponsor of Grenadian Steam and is the best way to order delivery from your favorite restaurants in Antigua, Grenada, and St. Vincent. Whether you're too busy to cook or looking to surprise a loved one with food, you're destined to find the perfect choice from a vast selection of restaurants. Order today at www.carabytes.com and specially for Pathways listeners, use the coupon STEAM on the checkout page to get a 25% discount on the delivery fee. That's www.karibites.com. Use the coupon STEAM for 25% off your delivery fee today. This episode is also brought to you by the Wild Orchid Restaurant and Bar. Nestled within the lush, recently reopened and illuminated Annandale Waterfall and Forest Park, the Wild Orchid offers a new social experience in the breathtakingly beautiful natural surroundings of Annandale Falls. Listen all the way through today's show because you'll want to be a part of the trivia competition at the end of it. Stay tuned to Grenadian Steam's social media where we will ask a question based on the conversation today. All you need to do is reply with the correct answer to the post. If you'd like, tag a friend for a bonus entry. Both you and the tagged friend must be following Grensteam and the Annandale Waterfall and Forest Park on either Facebook or Instagram to be eligible. Once the competition closes at noon on April 27th, we will randomly select two winners from the correct comments submitted to receive a $30 voucher each to the Wild Orchid. Don't miss out! Diasha Ross, or just Ross as he's known to many, is a local mixologist and wine sommelier. Starting out as a waiter at what was then the La Source Resort Grenada, Diasha worked his way up and became the sommelier of the restaurant, working with the chefs to craft the perfect wine pairings for their nightly menus. Sometime after, he had the opportunity to join a cruise ship crew and left Grenada, traveling the world first as a bartender, then rising to the level of head mixologist on the Norwegian cruise line. Upon returning home after the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, Diasha met the Hamid sisters, owners of the new Wild Orchid restaurant and bar at the Annandale Waterfall and Forest Park, and joined the team as head mixologist at the bar. I hope you enjoy today's chat, and if you do, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review 
or drop us a note on social media and let us know what you want to hear more of. Hey Diasha and welcome to Pathways. Hi Arlene. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Yes, no problem. So Diasha, you are currently um, working as, what do you call it, the lead mixologist at Wild Larkin Bar? Yes. All right. That's correct. Okay, so before we figure out how you got there, we're going to get into some backstory. Where are you from in Grenada? I'm, um, I'm from a place called Willis. It's uh, located at the parish of St. George's, and that's also the location where the Wild Hawk is also located in St. George's, but at Annadale. Okay, so you're close to home. Yes. All right. <laughs> nice. So, Diasha, tell us a little bit about what your primary school, secondary school years were like. When you were a young boy growing up, what, what were you like in school? Wow, that's that's a very nice question because primary school back then was the best thing ever, even secondary school as well. And I remember it was like having so much fun playing, being educated, and learning so much things at the same time. So primary school was just the beginning, and then secondary school was like, the middle, and then when you reach the college, that was a completion right there. Mm-hmm. So throughout the whole three stages, it was very, very fun-filled. I mean, traditional-wise, on the island, there were more things to do before than now. So before, you know, you had like Easter time when it comes around, everyone flying the kite, Christmas time, everyone sharing, you know, Carnival, you know, everyone having a fun time. Um, independence, everyone has their colors. So, as I'm an adult now, I can see the difference. And between me and you, I preferred back then when I was younger than now because I had fun then than now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so it's you could over say true <laughs> Yeah. But true and all, my childhood growing up was really nice, especially on the island. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So when you, were, when you were in school, maybe in secondary school, did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you grew up? What you want to do? Yes. Um, actually, uh, when I was in secondary school, I always wanted to be a, a lawyer. Okay. Why was that? And, um, the first experience I had um, towards that direction was um, while going towards college, um, we used to go up to the courthouse and look at a lot of cases on every Fridays. That was in the, between the forms of Form 3 and Form 4. And it was very interesting and very debateful how some of the cases used to be. So I always see myself, you know what, Ross, I think you can do that. Yeah? Yeah. So I did pursue, but at that time on the island, I was basically focusing on more of the business law aspect than more of the criminal law part. So 
So I tried, but there wasn't any um any any institution on the island that I can further my studies mm-hmm. to, to to do the business law or do a master's or do an an associate. So what I had to do was um go at the university and do a what you call a basic course, which just give you the fundamental or a refresher course about furthering business law. Further in business law? Yeah. Okay. So it was because there was no institution on the island that taught that specific career or specific education at that time. Mm-hmm. So what I what what would have had to do was I had to eventually flew out and go to another country and further my studies on that specific career, mm-hmm. which was business law. Got it. So how far did you get with it? Did you um, go to TAMCC and do law? I did went to TAMCC. You did law there? The law that I wanted to do there, they didn't do that at that time. Mm. So what did you end up doing? I ended up doing mass communication, general maintenance, and I did do the the first fundamental of business law, which basically teaches you or tell you about what you will expect in that career, what you expect in that field. But it wasn't a major, it wasn't an associate, it was just a refresher, basically. Okay. All right. Because so, at that time, they didn't have it as a major in TAMCC or at the university. I see. And so was going abroad to school ever something on your radar or that just wasn't something you were going to do? At the moment, I'll be honest, it wasn't something on my mind that I would have done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then what happened next then when you came out of, when you graduated TAMCC, you still wanted to be a lawyer or at that point did you kind of change your mind? I still wanted to be a lawyer, okay. but uh, I got an interview at La Sauce mm-hmm. at that time. They were hiring waiters, and I was home. I wasn't doing anything. So I was, you know what? Let me give it a try. Mm-hmm. And going in that direction, I learned in La Sauce how to be a waiter, and I moved up the ranking to be a Somali, which is like a wine steward. Or professional when it comes to wine. Mm-hmm. And from there, I forgot everything about law. <laughs> <laughs> Too much alcohol on the mind. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's interesting. Um, so when you were at La Source, did you just get into the Somali business by um the more that you dealt with it and understood it, or did you have to take courses or actually study wines? I I had to take courses and I had to do a lot of um pairing, like wine pairing with foods, all different types of food. And when you're doing a wine pairing with some of these foods, you also need to explain like um how the flavor will either enhance with a specific type of wine or it will not enhance. So at the same time, you have to find the correct character to match with the wine. And when both of them are balanced, then it's considered a good match and you can enjoy both the wine and your food. So I had to undergo that specific kind of training from a lot of big companies, especially like um, Moet and Chandon. They deal with champagne. I had to do um, training with um, Two Oceans. I had to do training with some New Zealand wine companies, um, French, especially those Beaujolais. Um, 
and had to do a lot of training with Lanson, Krug. So most of, most of the big companies, they had a representative that came to the resort and they gave us their training on how you serve their brand with specific type of food. You will also taste it for yourself and you will also see the difference in enjoying the meal while pairing the wine with the food. Yeah. So when you were when you were in that position, did you have to was all that knowledge then to explain it to the guests while they were like asking for different wines, or did you have to do anything behind the scenes, like maybe um, putting together a course that includes a certain wine to match with the with what the chef was preparing? Like, how much did you actually have to do? Uh, well, basically, we will get the menu the night before. What I would have done was brief some of the wine waiters on specific wines that you can blend with the meal. Okay. Because me and the head chef, we used to conduct a pairing every day with some of the meals, especially with the sauces, and see which wine goes really good with it. So at the evening time now, when we're about to start our service, I would brief the waiters and let them know, okay, you can try this wine with this meal. You could recommend that wine with that meal. And it used to be very interesting. Most of the times, those that we recommended, they will they will actually um, consume it. You know, they will actually choose that specific wine. Yeah. Especially like some nights we have um, the lobster tomador. Most of the time, you'll, I will always blend the Chablis because the Chablis has a very um, smooth, buttery texture. So that will blend with the, the lobster tomador because the lobster tomato has a nice, cheesy, creamy taste to it. And that will be really balanced. Especially the wine is not too cold, cold, cold way when it's frozen, but at a, a right temperature where brings out the flavor of the wine and the food. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. I never I never really thought of all the behind-the-scenes work that goes on at, like, a restaurant just to yeah. do, you know, the drinks that you serve. Yes. Wow. All right. So how long, how long did you do that at La Source? I did that at La Source from the year um, 2004. 2009 and then I got an opportunity to go and work for a cruise line company okay from there I went on to work for the cruise line company but from that that span from 2004 to 2009 I learned so much from um, when it comes to the service aspect and how you serve and how you guess and how you take care how you set the table how you you how the sequence of service works how how you greet guests you know, how you remember guests by their names. Um, you always smile, you give an eye contact, you give a firm handshake, you give a hug. You also give space as well, but you learn so much about the sequence of service, which is not only you just get the plate and just drop it for the guests, but also how you, you know, you thank them for coming and have a good time at, at your resort or your restaurant. You know, you, you, you thank them for coming to the island, coming and look at such a visit a beautiful country as Grenada because, I mean, they can go any other part of the world and mm-hmm. they choose to come here. And, you know, I learned a lot. And it was, very, very, it was a very excellent experience. So at this point, when you you're there for, what, almost five years, at some point, did you decide, like, yeah, this is what I want to do as a career? Or were you just kind of going with the flow? I decided 
to take it as a career when the opportunity came to move one step further, working outside of the country on a cruise line, different environment. It's a totally different, you know, it's a, it's a change. And it's also a, it was a learning experience because I, as a person, I love learning new things every day. So I took it upon myself to, you know what, why don't you make this a career? So that basically switched me off from going towards the law aspect and then switched me over to the hospitality aspect. Yeah. So at the, um, if you don't mind telling yeah. us a little bit, how exactly did you get into the the um, cruise ship position? Did someone offer it to you? Did you apply for a position? Um, I got to the cruise ship um, because um, there's an agency in solution that's called MAMPA. What's it called? MAMPA. MAMPA Agency. Okay. So now they're located in solution. And what had happened is that the cruise line company recruits workers. And in St. Lucia, at that time, a lot of St. Lucians didn't want to go out and work in the cruise ship. Mm. The agency switched the, the direction within the, within the country to another country. Yeah. So they end up meeting a, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Courtney. And he had been working on a cruise line for, for a certain amount of years. And they build a relationship with him to do like a branch agency whereby you're in Grenada, you recruit the workers, and I'll do the paperwork, everything in, in, in San Lucia, in Mampa. I'll get everything done, and I'll send them to whichever ship they have to go because the people in San Lucia don't really want, <laughs> they're not interested more or less. While in Grenada, there was a system, and there was a process, but it, take, it, it took a little bit longer. But with Mampa, in a space of two months, three months, sometimes two weeks, you're already on board working. When the on the island here in Grenada, you probably have to wait maybe like a six, seven months or eight months, and you're not exactly sure if you're going to get the job. Mm. So when the agent came here in Grenada, uh, I was part of the first group, and I turned it down. Why? Because at the same time, Remember, I was working at Last Souls at that time. Uh-huh. And it was fun there. And it was interesting. And it was, you know, it's learning. Uh-huh. But what happened, one of my friends went and he came back. And he, he was telling me all the stories about, hey, I experienced this out there. And I did this. I visited so many places. I've seen, I almost saw the whole world. And I was like, really? And I was like, okay, uh-huh. now I'm going to go. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's when... I went. <laughs> okay. You just needed somebody to test the waters for you first. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So then, yeah, tell us what happened next then. So you decide to just pack up your bags and hop on a cruise ship. What was that experience like? Uh, it was a little bit more, um, I had to do most of my um, medical tests, my um, experience. And I had to, you know, get my visa organized. And I had to go to Lucia because the main agency is there. And when I signed up, I signed up for um, a cruise line by the name of Norwegian Cruise Line. Mm-hmm. And there was a representative from the company. So we did a face-to-face interview with the representative. And they will ask you questions based on the position you're applying for. So 
me applying for wine because I just did, I was a wine sommelier at Lasso's. Mm-hmm. I was applying in position. And they were like, no, we don't know you, that you don't have all the experience, as you say. Um, we cannot just bring you in that position right away. Mm-hmm. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to bring you in as a junior bar server. I was like, what is that? And they were like, well, you work in the bar. And I was like, okay, well, I've never worked in the bar before. I mostly work in the restaurant dealing with wine and food. So I'm going to give it a try. So I said, well, okay, sure. And she told me, well, okay, prepare yourself in a three-month span because, you know, you need to do your medical, you need to do your tests, you need to get your visa, you need to get everything. And I did. And the feedback was ridiculous. In a space of two weeks' time, they called me back and it was like, hey, we love the interview that we had with you. So how about if you get ready next week? So rather than having to wait three months, I, had, I, only, wait, I only waited two weeks. Wow. Yeah. And we went on the ship. Okay. So you were able to turn around your visa and everything in, in that two, three week span. Yeah, in that three week span. Wow. Okay, nice. All right. So then you you got on the ship. Did you immediately start working or was there is there a training period? Yes. Um ship is different from land. Mm-hmm. It's a floating vessel. And they will teach you about safety first. Mm-hmm. Like, what if the ship about to sink? What if you slip and you fall? What if we collide with another ship? What if you collide with a rock? What if you collide with land? What if there's a fire on board? So they will give you all the safety aspect about everything, what can happen. So prepare you mentally because, you know, most of us, I never worked on a ship before. So yeah. they will give you all the information on how to prepare yourself on the safety aspect on everything. Curious question. Yes? Is knowing how to swim a requirement for working on a cruise ship? Knowing how to swim is not a requirement. Okay. There's life jackets. You can just put that on, jump in the water, and you float. (laughs) Grab a life life vest. Okay. All right. Carry on. After that, when you you completed all your training on safety, you have training on drugs because in case people coming on board living board, you need to keep an eye out and you cannot consume drugs while on board. Mm-hmm. Then they're um, training on how you're supposed to be friendly, courteous. You treat your peers, your crewmates as family while you're on board. Um, there is training on doors, how you enter and close doors because those doors are mechanic doors. So you need to open and close in a specific way and there is times when you can open them and there's times you cannot. Um, when you're carrying load, the there's so many training you have to conduct. But yeah. after you complete those training, then you start the work aspect. Yeah. So while going in the bar, I already know how to carry a tray. I know some of those cocktails already. Mm-hmm. But when you go into a new place, you have to forget about what you know in La Source or what you know working in, in, in a different company. What you have to do now, you have to open your mind taking everything where you at, where you at right then now. Because that's how and or that's how they want for you to do it there now. So I had to I had to not forget everything completely, but I just had to adjust to where I was working. Right. 
So did you have any experience mixing drinks before that? No. All I knew was fine. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So then did you, I guess, as in your first position as a, what was it, junior bar server? Did you have to mix drinks or was there something else you were doing? As a junior bar server on board, um, I worked on the bar waiter and the bar waiter worked on the uh, bartender. And the bartender worked under a head bartender, head mixologist. Those both worked under an assistant beverage manager. And the assistant beverage manager works under the beverage manager. So it's a chain of command. Yeah. And before we get into some of how, um, how that works, what position were you at when you left the, the cruise ship? I was the head mixologist, head bartender, head mixologist. I was doing both positions at the same time. Okay, so then stepping back now, um, what was the progression like? What did you, how did you first learn to mix a drink? And then um, how did you progress from there? The first time I learned how to mix a drink was when I, when I as a junior bar server, I used to observe and we used to have a lot of mixologies, a lot of training. Okay, so you have like a mixologist training in some of the ports. So you will have to, you know, wake up morning and afternoon, and the mixologist will come and prepare all, most of the cocktails on the menu. So you will see how he makes it. So you have a mental vision, or you have the correct measurement, or what they will have in some of the bars, they'll have like a, a top mass. A top mass is basically a recipe guide. In case you don't know, you can just look through it. It's in alphabetical order. You can just look through it, pull out the... The, the paper, you'll see an icon of the, the cocktail and the recipe, and then you just follow it through, and then you get it, you got it right there. So, with that, when the bar gets a little bit busy, I would have just, you know, jump in the bar when the bartender is busy, and I'll make it for myself, and then I'll go out and serve my guests. So, that's how I used to get my time in and out of the bar mixing on my own. Mm, okay. Was it easy for you to pick up or did you ever serve a, a, a drink and somebody was just like, what is this? No, um, it, was, it wasn't hard. It was easy. Mm-hmm. And what I would always do, I would always ask, is it okay? How is your drink? Are you enjoying it? And if they said, well, you know, um, it could be a little bit more stronger, I'll go to the bar and ask, ask for another shot and I'll bring it for them. And mm-hmm. here you go, you can add it to your drink and then they'll add it to the drink and they'll be like, all right, very good. Now it's good. You know, they give me like thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So from there now, um, how did you step up in ranks to to then become the head mixologist? I stepped up in rank when um one of the fleet beverage manager, she she met me the on my first contract when I was up in Alaska and I didn't see her for like three contracts prior. So when I saw her on my third contract, she was like Ross. And she looked at my name tag and she was like, you're still a junior bar server? <laughs> like, <laughs> so she was like, come, let's go to the office right now. <laughs> so we went straight to the office and she sent an email to the head office and the food and beverage director on board. And she basically was telling them, I'm going to promote Ross. So I got the promotion of a bar waiter first, signed the documents. And then I got a promotion for a bartender. So I got two promotions in a space of five minutes' time. <laughs> everyone, everyone was like shocked. It was like, what the hell? 
I've been working for the company for so many years. I'm still a bartender, and this guy just coming bartender already. Wow! How long had you been with with the cruise ship at that point? I've been with them up until like let's see, been put like nine nine years more or less. Okay, at the point where you got that promotion. Oh, that was like four years inside. Oh, okay. Like okay. my podcast. <laughs> wow! All right. So. Tell us a little something about mixology. Like, just like you walked us through the whole sommelier business, what are some things that people don't necessarily recognize about, like, the fundamentals of mixology? There is a lot of stuff, especially about mixology. When you have a bar, first thing first, your setup needs to be on point. So your your equipment is one, and being a mixology, you tend to have a lot of equipment, especially if you want to do a flare. Or you want to do something different, or you want to showcase a specific type of cocktail, you know, based on it's your it's your creation. So most of the fundamentals have to do with your equipment, one, your setup. And your setup needs to be in a certain way where everything is at your reach. You mm. don't have to leave and go to the back and get any item. Your setup supposed to be right in front of you. Okay, your alcohol. When you're dealing with your alcohol or your spirits. Your wines, you're supposed to have a brand that's of a good quality, because a good quality brand is known by a lot of people, and a good quality brand gives your cocktail an excellent taste. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, the one of the stuff that's the two most stuff that's topping on the cake is your ice type of ice and your garnish type of garnish you use. Okay, these two. Very, very, very important as well. Because you can have bulky ice, which can water down your drink. You can have light ice, which can make your drink really strong, overpowering, and that could turn off the guests. Maybe they don't want overpowering drink. So sometimes your ice has a very important role to play. If you want to have a good scotch, and that ice is like flaky and it's not solid, you know that can alter the taste of the scotch. And you're not, you wouldn't enjoy it to the way how you like. So there's a lot of, lot of, lot of fundamentals that most mixologists have to take into consideration when it comes to your your operation, especially when you want to impress and make your cocktail. So now something that listeners might be thinking, and I'm definitely trying to figure out in my head, how do you like ice is ice, right? How do you get different types of ice for your drink? Well, ice is ice is ice. That's true. But when you're freezing ice, you need to get them at a certain temperature. Hmm. You get them at a certain shape. So all that partakes in the ice itself. Now there are some machines that you can freeze ice in different shapes in balls, and there are some machines if you you have them as cubes, and then you just put them in, and the machine will turn them in whatever shape you'd like. But it all does with the type of machine. The brand of machine, sorry, and how you want your ice to be made. Now, inside of the machine, you have a gauge, and that gauge, you can adjust it, and you can adjust it to how you want your ice to be made. Mm-hmm. If you want it thick and frosty, you get it like that. If you want it thin and light, you can get it like that. If you want it right in the middle, where where it should be, you can get it like that as well. I see. Okay, so. As a mixologist now, do you have any any tips on the side for how to achieve these different levels of ice in, in your regular freezer? Well, a regular freezer, no. 
<laughs> you wouldn't get that in a regular freezer. Oh. Unless, unless you want to buy those molds, mm-hmm. you can get them off Amazon or you can go in a Walmart and you can get those specific types of mold and you can get those ice mold out. You can freeze them in a specific way and get them mold out how you would want them to be. Just like if it's how a mixology we want it to be. So you can get the shape, but not necessarily maybe the texture that you're looking for. That's true. I see. Okay. Once upon a time, I, I wanted to dabble in mixology a little bit myself, but I didn't get that deep into it to understand the different levels of ice. <laughs> yeah. okay. I mean, there is more. There is more. Your simple syrup, your syrups, mm-hmm. um, your garnishes, your types of straw you use, the type of glasses you use, the napkins, you know, your toothpick. Yeah. Small details, but they, they play a very important role. You know, um, it goes even to even down to your pores. Even goes down to your as as I said, even your equipment, your instrument, mm-hmm. those stuff that you use goes all down to that. Yeah, so it really is one of those things that's like an art and a science. Right? Yes. Okay. So, did you ever create your own drinks, or was it mostly just going off of recipes and things that exist? I've created a few of my own drinks. Yes. So what, what's some of that thought process that, like, how do you choose your different um, liquors or spirits to go into a drink, decide what to add to it, decide the garnish? Walk us through that process. Most of my drinks was created based on traveling throughout the world and basically experiencing different cocktails at different places and, you know, coming up with my own creation and my own style. Mm. They do it like, let's say they do it in a simple way, but I'll do it in a much more extravaganza way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll go all out just to make it like, like, wow. I'll make it like a show mm-hmm. and taste good. So it's not like a show and when you drink it, like, what is this? They have to be, both has to be unbalanced on the same level. So, yeah, uh, it's just experience and being around the world. Some of those cocktails I created personally. And if you try one of them, you would really like it. One day, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> the one you have to try is a smoked old-fashioned mm-hmm. or a smoked tazara. It's very, very, very tasty. You can have it before dinner or after dinner. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it old-fashioned. I never had it smoked, but I guess I'll have to try it. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to ask, what is your, if you have a favorite drink to mix, it, would that be the one? At the moment or? Yeah, at I'll the work, moment yeah. or of all time. Well, the all-time drink I really do love to make, and I don't want to lie, is mojitos. Yeah? Why is yeah. that? Because you can do mojitos in all different flavor, especially if you have the natural fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a cocktail for any occasion. You could have it morning, noon, night, on the beach, at a wedding, or the friend's house. You can have a mojito anytime. It's, like, it's one of those cocktails you can just, you know what? I feel like a mojito. Two, yeah. three, you can have it anytime. It's that kind of cocktail I like making. Okay. Okay. That's fair. The okay. second one would be martinis. Mm. 
Now that one, you can add some flair to it. Yes. What's your favorite type of martini? Shaken or stirred? <laughs> well, um, martinis, you have different categories of martini. You have mm -hmm. contemporary, you have classic, and you have what you call new school. New school is those what you get, like those flavored one, like a chocolate, a cosmopolitan. Uh, contemporary is like, you know, you're having like old, old grog. Um, the classic ones are like gin martini, shaken mm -hmm. stirred, vodka martini, dirty. Mm -hmm. And it all comes with the word or gin martini, extra dirty, or you want a filthy martini. Filthy is when you muddle the olives and you strain the juice and the, the vodka into a martini glass. Now, when you say dirty, that's when you just put some olive juice inside with the vermouth or the vodka and gin. Uh, when you want it extra dirty, you just add more olive juice. Uh, when you want dirty on the side, it's basically the when you shake it, it's the ice that you're putting on the side. So in case they want to dilute the martini a little bit more, you know, they... They take the dirty ice and they, it's clean ice, but it's just a phrase that you use when it comes to martinis. Right. Uh, and a lot of people don't know that, especially when it comes to martinis. You need to explain because the bartender, when you tell the bartender you want a martini, or you tell the mixologist you want a martini, they're already thinking that you already know what you want, how you're supposed to say. Yeah. yeah. So most people, when, you, when they ask for a martini, you'll need to ask them vodka or gin. Mm -hmm. You'll ask them, dirty, dry, and they'll have to ask them on the rocks, up. And then you have to ask them again, shaken, stirred. Man. You know, have to ask them again, twist, olives, onion. So, so many levels. So the best way when, you, when you're supposed to say it, you're supposed to say it in one sentence. Can I get a gin martini, shaken? with olives and wow. the bartender will right away because you say it as a sentence okay now i feel like i need to go out and figure out what's my favorite type of martini so i can just so i can ask for it correctly yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe i'll try to mix a few myself and figure it out okay okay you can also do that <laughs> <laughs> uh, it gets kind of pricey if you try to try every type of martini i figure and and you might get a little bit lit fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do that in the comfort of my home. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, so that, like, that's so much more than I knew about mixology. So lots, of, lots I learned right there. Um, but now you're, you're back on land off the cruise ship. And you're now working at yeah. the Wild Orchid, the probably the newest... Yeah the newest restaurant and bar in the game. Yes. So how did you get involved with Wild Orchid? You want for me to tell you the truth? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't tell lies here. <laughs> okay. One, um, one evening, actually, I came from the beach, me and some friends, and we were walking down, and from the entrance, there was this beautiful light work on the ground leading all the way down to the waterfall. And that was in, um, close to where I lived. And Anadil with it. And while walking down, I saw the, the structure of the place, while walking. And I was like, wow, this is, this is beautiful. Because I remember coming to, that, to this specific waterfall 
it was there was nothing there. It was just a just a small shed, and that was for in case rain started fall, you can just run another day and just shelter. Then on my way back up, I saw at that time I didn't know was the owners, so I saw them and I was like, "Hello," um, and I saw they was just a little bit busy. I was like, "Hello, um, if you'd like, I can, um, you know, I can give you some assistance. I have a few experience in this field, and if you'd like for me to, um, you know, help you out." And they were like, "Sure, yes, um, come by tomorrow." And that was it. <laughs> okay. And here I am. Yeah. Look at that. Sometimes you just need to step up. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that you got involved with it, I know that you weren't, um, you didn't necessarily help create it, but can you tell us a little bit about the story behind um, the development and the launch of Wild Orchid? Um, the story behind it is, um, it's, it was just something that um, vision-wise from the, from the owners that they saw that they can they could have get them you know development in such a beautiful place mm-hmm. and they went for it because they saw the vision and they saw the beauty and they saw the outcome of it which I didn't think a lot of people saw and they went they followed they went through the process they got the place and now when you have a lot of locals and a lot of visitors coming to the place they're amazed to see the development of it. And it's it's truly one of the eight wonders of the world. I have it under the list of the eight wonders, at least one of the ninth, ninth wonders of the world right now. No, it's it's beautiful. I remember when I first saw the ad for it coming out, I was like, yes, this is, I can't wait to come back so I could actually visit there because it looks amazing. Yeah. Okay. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, you left the cruise ship after the whole COVID breakout or did you leave before that? I actually got stuck on board when the whole oh. pandemic stuff started. Oh, there's a story we were, there. Okay. We were basically circulating um, out to the ocean for like three months prior till I came home and I came home in um, June of last year. Okay. Well, that's another story that I can hear about another time. Um <laughs> So then how does it feel now after all that time at sea, back on land? Is there any difference in the type of work that you're doing at a local bar as opposed to an international cruise ship? The work is the same. Um, I'm doing the same thing. The only difference is I'm still adjusting with the with the life on the island. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still different from the life that, you know, you're living out there. Trying to compare it here, it's totally different. So we're just adjusting to the different location, mm-hmm. but the job is still the same. Okay. And do you intend to continue from here a career in mixology or any chance of going back into the, the law field? I'm going to stick to this for now because this is a career that there's so many doors that can open and there's always something new to learn. Yeah. And just looking forward to see how far it's going to take me and let's see how with the whole pandemic stuff once it eases off and we have more foreigners and more guests coming to the place mm-hmm. to see how it's going to be you know really worthwhile yeah so being there in the middle of it how has the local response to the wild orchid been they love it yeah i can imagine they love, they love it 
It's a real hot spot. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Especially on Fridays. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People have been waiting for somewhere to go. Yes. So are you the only uh, mixologist there or you have a team of bartenders with you? I'm the only mixologist there, but there is also a bartender there as well. Okay. Okay. So you're not fully alone. Yeah. Nice. All right. So I don't know if you thought about this at all, but what do you think about this type of career? Because it's not often you hear about people becoming mixologists in Grenada. And even though we have such a a huge, maybe I'm just missing it because I'm not really involved with the hospitality industry. But what do you think, how do you think the current view in Grenada towards hospitality and the field of mixology is? And do you think there's a, a way that it can be better applied more broadly? Well, how I view it is um, the world is changing. And mm-hmm. yes, we have in this. But being a mixologist now would be not just only a cool name, but it comes with what you know, how you do things, your experience, the knowledge about a lot of stuff. And on the island here, if some of the institutions, or institutes, sorry, prepare, let's say, a training place or a, or a school that you know, will teach and prepare a lot of young men or young women about mixology, on a very, very high, high standard. Mm-hmm. And mind you, there's a lot of resorts on the island. So after they do their, their theory, there's some of the resorts they can also go to and do some of the practical mm-hmm. where they, the guests, they're working while they're seeing the guests. And to me, that would be ideal for a lot of Grenadians taking that into an, taking that as a career because now they know, well, okay, what if I want to try that rather than that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I want to be a bartender, but what if I go for a mixology? Or I want to be a waiter, but what if I want to be a mixology and learn how to, you know, prepare, prepare drinks in a certain way, in a certain style, in a certain form, in a certain flair, you know? And that, I think, will, um, will have a lot of Grenadians looking at that direction and giving it a try because it's, it's a work that not only will benefit you on the island, but you can take you any part of the world. Once you have the knowledge, the certificate, and you have the apply and you have the experience, you can take you anywhere. It's just that you have to have an institute in place that does that and, you know, have a partnership with some of the resorts where, you know, you do the theory and then you do the practical. And that will be a plus. Yeah. And do you know of anywhere in Grenada that teaches anything along those lines? No, I don't know. Okay, interesting. You would think, I wonder if, I know TAMCC has that whole hospitality program. I wonder if that's a part of it at all. I know they do have a hospitality where they teach the cooks and the chefs and bartending, but when it comes to the mixology aspect, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Would be interesting. Okay. Maybe, Maybe Maybe we should start one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like you could be a good teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should look there. Look for a day job. <laughs> so what advice would you give to anybody out there, whether it's a student or even an older person who's looking to change a career, who is interested in 
following a similar career path to yours or just getting into mixology? Any advice for them? My advice is very simple. If you put your mind to anything and you have a firm understanding and you have an open mind, anything is possible. You can go for the mixology career, have it, have the certificate, have the background, have the experience, and you can still move on to something else. Now, that is basically having a, a backup, meaning that in case you go to a different part of the world, a different country, and, you know, even if you're, you're, you're doing one thing, you can always back in that aspect or in that career. You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you can, you, you know, you already can do that and you're focusing on something else. But in that moment, if, if something arises in that specific field, you can do it. You wouldn't be like, Oh, I don't know how to back then. Oh, I don't know how to mixology. You can do it because you already have it there. Yeah. Skills never go to waste. Right? Yes. Okay. So, Biasha, just before we wrap up, if there's yeah. anybody out there listening who is like inspired by your story and they're like, man, I need to learn more about this, how can they reach out to you to, to find more information? They can, um, I'm on Facebook. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look for me on Facebook, um, Diasha Ross. Uh, D-I-Y-A-H-S-H-A Ross or you can send me an email at sterling-1987 underscore at hotmail.com Okay, and spell and that Sterling for them? S-T-E-R-L-I-N-E Okay, alright I'm open now to give as much information that I have I can share it with anyone interested Yeah. and look forward to to take it up as a career. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of courses online. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff you can do to, um, to become a mixologist. But experience and practical plays a big part. And, you know, it's a learning process every day. So just keep in mind that it's a fun, it's a fun, fun, fun experience. It sounds like it. Yeah. All right. Well, Diasha, thank you so much for making the time to talk. And I can't wait to hear the feedback from this episode and see how people feel about maybe getting into mixology. Well, Aline, it was a pleasure. And thank you for having me. Anytime. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us on today's Pathway. 